0: This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Good evening everybody. Um, thank you for the privilege, just picking up my coffee card, <laughs> to come and um, share this evening. Um, it's times like these we don't feel you need to share um, because God already ministers He's already moving, um, so we just get to be a part of his plan. This evening, um, for those of you who don't know, welcome to those who are streaming who are on holiday. Um, we are excited that you can still be with us and yes this evening um, I'm excited to share. It has been an amazing preparation for what the Lord has placed on my heart. It has been a humbling process because um, it usually starts with, with yourself and then you are able to communicate with others. So this evening I'm going to, to share on the goodness of God's righteousness. Amen? That is good news. <laughs> so just to give a bit of background, my name is Rude. Um, I grew up in Johannesburg. I think my mom and dad are streaming from London, so we'll just wave to them. <laughs> and um, yes, very shortly was very lost, and now I'm super found. And I I love Jesus. <laughs> I love him so much. And the, the greatest return I can give to him for saving me is to give him my all. Um, so I have devoted my life to live fully for Jesus and never turned back and I'm so in love with him. I'm so honored to be able to to just be a spokesperson for him. I really count it as a privilege um, for me to stand here to wrestle. <laughs> Jermaine saw the other half of it. Um, so I really do count it as a privilege. So thank you for allowing me to be here. Um, so this evening I'm going to take us on a bit of a a different um, process in what I usually how I usually teach, um, it's going to be a bit of a different perspective. The Lord has led me to righteousness and and how He led me to righteousness was one of the humbling processes that He took me on that I was sharing on, and it started in Acostadt mall, and I usually have an eye for the outcast or the last or the widow. It's just part of my gifting. I love them naturally. And I greeted a lady at the Akerstadt Mall who usually cleans. And I felt so good about myself. <laughs> and I was like, I just greeted this lady. I am such a good saint. And, <laughs> and as I walked um, out of Akerstadt Mall, it just hit me that how does that define that I am a good saint? How does that define that I'm good? By greeting this lady. Because I'm only good because of Jesus. And then the righteousness journey started. And then Romans started. So this evening, <laughs> I'm going to take us on a on a journey through Romans, the letter to the Romans. And specifically from Romans chapter 1, 2, 3, and then the example of chapter 4. And there are going to be some backgrounds given, just so that we can have understanding, I'm going to try my best in giving a Greek word, we can all laugh together <laughs> when I pronounce the Greek word, <laughs> so this evening I just want to begin by praying, Father we, we thank you Lord, um, I thank you Father for the privilege to be here, I thank you for the privilege to be part of your church, and Jesus I thank you that you are the shepherd. I thank you that you are the head of your church, and I thank you that you are glorified. And, and my prayer this evening, Lord, Father, is that, that your son will be glorified, and that through your son that the Father will be glorified, and that they will see you, Lord. Father, I really ask that it will be more of you tonight that they see, that you will be glorified, Lord, and less of me. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the first Greek word, the only Greek word that I'm going to say tonight, is dikaiosune. Ni, ai kan ni, So righteousness in Greek is dikaiosune, And the first definition I want to give to us is, it's a state of him who is as he ought to be. Righteousness, the condition acceptable to God. It's a doctrine concerning the way in which man may attain a state approved by God. The Strong's definition um, says it as following. Often in Paul's writing, he uses it as that of a gracious gift to men whereby all who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ are brought into right relationship with God. This righteousness is unattainable by obedience to any law or by any merit of man's own or any other condition than that of faith in Christ. The man who trusts in Christ becomes the righteousness of God in him, becomes in Christ all that God requires a man to be, all that he could never be himself going to read it once more often in paul's writings he uses it the word righteousness as that of a gracious gift of god to men whereby all who believe on the lord jesus christ are brought into right relationship with god this righteousness is unattainable by obedience to any law or by any merit of man's own or any other condition than that of faith in Christ. The man who trusts in Christ becomes the righteousness of God in him, becomes in Christ all that God requires a man to be, all that he could never be himself. And that is the good news of God's righteousness. So this evening, I'm going to start with the good news of God's righteousness. And when we look to the letter to the Romans that Paul wrote, some say it was in the early 50 after Christ. Um, More scholars say it was from 57, 58 after Christ. And he wasn't writing to a church like the other letters where he was perhaps visiting the Corinthian church and he saw the problems in the church and he spoke and he wrote to them concerning these issues. To the Romans, he was writing from Corinth, and he was writing from a place where he didn't have that instant relationship with them. He didn't have any issues to confront. But as we start reading in the beginning of chapter one of the letter to Romans, it it says that he wanted to go to Rome. He had a desire to go to Rome. It says that always in my prayers asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. So Paul had a longing to go to Rome, but he knew that it was another part of his missionary journey. At that stage, he was wanting to go through to Spain and continue what he felt called to, and that was to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, to preach the gospel um, in Asia Minor and to different areas of the world. So he was Going where the Lord was leading him to share this gospel. So, in the letter to the Romans, he begins and he introduces him as himself as the apostle, the one who's called by Christ, and he tells them that he has a longing to come to Rome, but, but he's not there yet, um, but he's hoping to come and he's praying to come and visit to them. And he says, I am so eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. So in the context of this um, of this letter, he's not in in Rome. He's he's writing from a different place, and he's not writing specific issues. He's just sharing a lot of his of his beliefs. He's sharing what he believes in, and and now I'm going to lead us into a structure that many scholars refer to in how he was writing this letter. And the reason I'm specifically using this structure is because I want to put emphasis. On what his main thesis was. And for those of you. I I only became a scholar in my 18 year old self. My parents can witness to that. Um, I finished school with 34% maths. It wasn't my (laughs) highest grade. And really was not the top scholar. Um, But praise the Lord. I got into university. And that was a miracle. It really was a miracle. Um, (laughs) So. A thesis is is something that is a belief that he's trying to prove. It's a a belief that Paul believed in the argument that he wanted to state so that he could share with them what that fundamental truth was. So the structure of this letter, it begins with a statement or it begins with him introducing himself, as I said earlier. And then from chapter 1, verse 16 to 17, he gives a statement of that which he believes. And after giving that statement, he gives the opposite of that, which is called an antithesis, so that he can actually prove that which he was, what he was saying was a fundamental truth that they could hold on to. So he begins with, with, with sharing what he believed in, and then he goes into sharing what was the opposite of that, which is righteousness. And then he restates it. Thirdly, he restates it from Romans 3, 21 to 31. And then where I'm, where I'm going to conclude is he demonstrates it with an example in, in Romans 4. So bear with me. <laughs> I'm excited to share this with you. And I want to start by, by, by sharing the statement which he based the letter to the Romans. And that is in Romans 1, 16 to 17. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Amen? (laughs) So here Paul is saying that he is not ashamed, since the good news is actually the reason for his boasting in contrast to any other human accomplishment. The good news is not only verbal here, it says that it is a powerful salvation at work among both the Jews and the Gentiles. And to the Romans that he was writing to, it said that there was already an early church that had begun. Not that Paul had started it, but there was another early church that was placed in Roman, in Rome. And it wasn't just Gentiles; it was Jews and Gentiles. And and for those of you who don't know what the who the Gentiles were, they were mainly Greek, non, just anything non-Jew at that stage, or still today. And the Jews were from God's chosen nation. They had the Torah, which was the law, they had, which is the law given to them. So Paul is writing to both the Jews and the Gentiles. And he's saying that the good news is not only verbal. It is a powerful salvation at work among both the Jews and the Greeks. And this good news, God's righteousness, which is revealed... Can be structured in two parts, and the one part is that righteousness reveals who God is. God is righteous and God is just. And the second part that refers to when he refers to righteousness is that God in his righteousness establishes humans in right relationship with him. So to the Jews that God, the question, that God was righteous was unquestionable. They knew that God was righteous. They knew that God was just. They also knew that it was possible to come into a place through sacrifices, through the high priest, to have right standing with God, to have forgiveness of sin. The challenge, however, came through Paul's thesis when he stated that this right standing and this relationship with God, firstly, it is a free gift It cannot be attained by human effort. And secondly, that we respond to this free gift by by faith. And that challenged them. And I think for us today, it challenges most of us. It challenges me to know that there is nothing I can do to earn God's God's righteousness. There is nothing I can do to earn right standing with him. And this revelation of righteousness begins in God's faithfulness to humans and is answered by their obedience acceptance. So there we have the beginning. We have the thesis that was stated, the argument that he had, the fundamental belief that he wrote. And and again, I'll just repeat it. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God was revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And as we continue into the second part of the opposite of what he was stating there, he begins by by bringing into, the, he begins by writing about the pagans, about those that that didn't perhaps have the law, who didn't perhaps have an upbringing with God. And by revealing the opposite of what he is stating, he states that God's righteousness comes by only by a gift. And every form of human attempt misses the mark. And it's applicable to us today. I see many of us, I see myself constantly trying to attain this gift. Constantly trying to be a better Christian, constantly trying to find myself in my quiet times, checking in my mind, have I done everything right this week? Yes, I have. I can come into God's presence. But when we realize that it is none of our own doing, it is only by the blood of Jesus, the righteousness of God is the reason that we can go forward. So he writes about the opposite. He writes to them and he says that, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his His eternal power and divine nature, has been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. For though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God. Other translations say they did not have reverence for Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And later it says that, Verse 25, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. So, what he is saying there is these pagans, from the beginning of time, creation has been proclaiming that there is a God, there is something higher. But they chose to not worship the creator, they chose to make creatures of their own making. And the great lie is that God can be reduced to human impulses and experiences which suppress the truth, which suppresses the truth today. So Paul is writing and he's describing all of the bad unrighteousness that the pagans are doing, the sexual immoral acts. And he, he's really just showing the opposite, not of what righteousness in God is, but what the unrighteousness is and that the wrath of God is upon that. But when we go to Romans 2. It's very likely that many of us. Who, who perhaps have always thought that. I'm alright in this Christian walk. Because I have my Bible. And I have a sort of community. And it easily becomes a mentality. I, luckily I'm not part of the world. But in this context. Paul is actually writing to the Jews now. And he's saying that God's righteous judgment is for all. It's not only for the pagans who worship their false god. Um, I don't know if some of you have been to India. I was there last year and you're just confronted with, with the thousands of gods they worship there. Here he's writing to them that in God there is no partiality. There is no Jew and Gentile. We are all equal before him. And he judges us accordingly. So to the Jews, perhaps they were thinking, we are God's chosen nation. We were given the Torah. We've been taught the Scriptures since we were little. But as we continue in chapter 2, it actually, Paul actually confronts it. And he says, but that should be nothing to boast in. The only response that establishes us before God is a heart of obedience and faith. In Romans 2.13, it says that, For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. He speaks to those who then may have thought that the Torah, the law that they received was something to boast in, confronting if they might find themselves to be better than others or measuring themselves against others. Wow, I've fallen into that trap so many times. Biblical knowledge, how much they know, the inadequacy that it sometimes brings upon me, but it's such a trap. It is such a trap of the enemy. God is really concerned about our hearts. And he writes again to them and he says that if you call, well, he's still writing, not a new letter, same letter. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and improve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, A light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of truth and knowledge and truth. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? And he's writing to them and he's, he's saying, but are you actually practicing what you're preaching? And as he continues writing, he even says that it will be possible for the Gentiles to follow the law. Because to really follow the law is the condition of your heart. And to really follow God is the condition of your heart. It is nothing that they could boast in. So not only was he telling them of what the pagans were doing, but he was saying, wait, Jews, um, they may have sinned, but your sin is, is not much different. And he writes again and he says, What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Gentiles, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. And in Romans 3.20, He writes to them. So in Romans 2, he's been saying, yes, the pagans have their little idols and they worship gods of their own making. But Jews, you are, you are in a sense worshiping yourselves because you are boasting in, in what you have. You are boasting in, in what, who you are. And he writes again, and he says again, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. And in Romans 3, he continues, and as I stated earlier, he says that there are none, there's none of us who are righteous before God in our own doing. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Now, I don't know if some of you just explain that, that through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And the role that the law might have played in in those times is to actually give them an acknowledgement of what their sin was. And an example of that practically would be going into the pantry as a little kid, and your mom had told you three times that week, um, no cookies, (laughs) no Tim Tams, those are my favorite, none of those, for the next three days or so, and you go in disobedience, and you go and have that, but I always had this real guilty conscience, I still do, I cannot do anything (laughs) disobediently, it it really, disobedience and, My integrity, I think my honesty is just one of the things that always gets me caught. But that is what it meant. It meant that they had a knowledge of what the law was, which also meant they had a knowledge of their sin. But the sin that Paul is speaking about here in in Romans 3.20, it is not the moral failure that he is speaking about, but he's speaking in a religious sense and he's, he's saying that immorality is a sign and a consequence of sin. So when we have moral failure, when we lie, when we become jealous, it is it is not only sin, but it is sin it's it's not sorry, immorality is a sign and a consequence of sin, but it's not in itself sin. The opposite of sin is to, to be a good Christian is not to to be a good Christian, but it's to have faith. So sorry, let me just repeat that. The opposite of sin is not to be a good Christian by moral standard, but it is to have faith. And Romans 14, 23 says it, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. And Paul speaks of sin here as a singular. He's not saying sins. He's saying Paul speaks of sin as singular here, not as much as moral failure, but a religious one. And this religious position that he's speaking about is, is when our hearts turn away from God. It's anything or a condition of our heart that makes us turn away from dependency on him. And this he defines as idolatry. So yes, he was writing to the pagans about their worship of false gods. But but here he was writing to the Jews and saying, even though your lips may be near to me, your hearts are far. At root, sin is the disposition. It means not in position with God's heart. That strives to establish one's own existence. And value apart from God. It's the refusal to acknowledge our complete dependency on an absolute other. This disposition, this moving away from being in fully full dependence of, of God is what he writes later in Romans eight, to live according to the flesh. And in other words, he calls it boasting. That we boast about what we know. We boast about all the things about God. We even boast about His blessing. But are we really okay with just Him? Because that is what He wants from us. He just wants us to be dependent on Him. Attempting to achieve one's own righteousness leads to slavery. Seeking to construct life and worth out of our own effort. In effect, establishing ourselves as the God of our own lives. And I often fall into that trap. I'm really not speaking here as someone that that has made it. But there's a humility of heart that comes in when you realize that there is nothing that I can add to the blood of Jesus. There is nothing that I can do to achieve right standing with God. And the moment I believe I do, I walk into a trap of slavery. I begin striving. I begin believing I'm never enough. There's always more I need to do. He's not satisfied with me. And there's comforts we can find that in. It can be our studies. It could be pleasing people instead of God. I'm often one to fall in the trap of when people think I'm good or a good person, I think I'm a good person. And that is not true. People might not like me at all, but it's whether I'm pleasing before God that matters. So he speaks here of a sin that is anything that makes me think I have attained righteousness. We can only receive righteousness through God. And here he restates his thesis again in Romans three twenty one. So just to backtrack, remember that we said that he's not. Paul said he's not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone believe, who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed through faith, from from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And he restates this again in, in Romans 3.21. And, and something re, sometimes restating things is just to emphasize it again. Yes, I've given you the opposite of righteousness, of true righteousness. I've shown you what unrighteousness looks like. I have even shown you what self righteousness looks like. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, for all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all who all have sinned, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood, as a sacrifice, in other words, by His blood, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in His divine forbearance, He had passed over the former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That he might be just and the justifier of one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith, apart from the works of the law. Or is it God, the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of course also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. By no means. On the contrary. Oh, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary. We uphold the law. So God put forward Jesus as a sacrifice to establish unity between himself and humans. And it was by his blood. The death of Jesus was not a mechanical offering. It was not a robot that went to the cross, but the faithful death of a living human being. And it was an act of obedience to God, and it was an act through faith. Through giving his Son the gift of his Son, God acted on behalf of all. On the cross, Jesus relinquished any claim to life or worth apart from God's gift. And those who believe in Jesus are established in the right relationship with God. They do not seek to assert or to hold on to their own life and worth, but accept in obedience the free gift of God in Jesus. So three things I just want to... Remind us about, before I go into the example that is given in Romans 4, to bring into summary what he has said, or just bring into practicality what he has stated, from Romans 1 to Romans 2 and 3. And it's that, number one, all human boasting is excluded. One can glory boast only in the gift of God. Number two, No human achievement, not even the observance of his law, can place a claim on God. And number three, it is by faithful obedience that all can be made right with God. There is no partiality. What he is saying there is, there is no high standard of Christianity in our own way. way. We all have the opportunity, we all have the opportunity to come to God. Whether you're saved for two years or seven, we all have the opportunity to come before Him. But it will require a humility of heart and an obedience and a faith to believe. Amen. In Romans 4. Paul gives an example of this. So we've gone through the pagan worship, the false gods, the Jews that, yes, they may know the law. They may know um, the scriptures from a young age. They may even know what is the right and wrong thing to do. But for them, in a sense, idolatry was anything that moved them away from God's heart. So we have an opportunity today to respond to that. We have an opportunity today to say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that at times I've done my own way. I'm sorry that at times it's easier to work for it than to freely receive it. And I believe the Lord wants to heal that tonight. That mentality that I'm not good enough to receive the gift. I have to keep working for it. I believe the Lord wants to heal that. He wants to come establish that it is free. Yes, it requires obedience. Yes, it requires faith. But you can come to me. Paul finishes, not finishes, he writes in Romans 4 an example of this practically. And the example he writes is of Abraham. And Abraham was known as an upright man. Abraham was justified by faith. And Paul says here that Abraham was called righteous in Genesis 15 verse 6. The commandments came in, for those of you that know the Old Testament in Exodus. So Abraham in Genesis 15 verse 6 and before his circumcision in genesis 7 verse 1711 he was called a righteous man in romans 4:10 it says that how then was it counted to him was it before or after he had been circumcised it was not after but before he was circumcised he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that the, righteous would be counted to the righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of, of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham, before he was circumcised, So Paul is using Abraham as an example. He's using Abraham as an example to the pagans, to the Gentiles in Rome. He's saying that, yes, Abraham is also a father of you. And he's saying to the Jews, yes, you know your Torah, and yes, you do know Abraham. But he was counted as just and righteous before attaining to the law, before going through circumcision. Abraham was called righteous, Not because of his accomplishments, but because of his faith. He was a man of faith. And he manifested this principle of faith for all, becoming the father of both the Jew and the Gentile. Paul declares that the structure of Abraham's faith is the same for Christians involving trust, hope, and obedience. So Abraham's faith is the same for us today, and it involves trust, it involves hope, and it involves obedience. And despite all the appearances of death that Abraham was facing, the death in Sarah's womb, the barrenness that she could not conceive, Abraham had faith in God, and he gave glory to no other gods. Romans 4.20 says, So not, no unbelief made him, waver the, made him waver the promise in God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. I'm going to read it again. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So it was not only the resurrection of Sarah's womb that she could bear Isaac, the promise, but it's the resurrection of Jesus from the dead that we can believe and received this gift of righteousness, that Jesus died for us, that he was not a robot that went in his... Way. It was an act of obedience and it was a human act of faith. Knowing that by that one act we can all receive righteousness before the Father, that right standing before the Father. I'm going to ask the band to come forward. This is our hope today. This is our hope that, that there is nothing, thankfully, that we have to add. This is our hope that that we can, by faith and obedience, follow God freely. And I believe God wants us to have this freedom. Yes, to be obedient to Him. But that obedience comes from a love. When we love God, we are obedient to Him. And I really believe he is calling us into a time where it's not about the works. It's not about the wonders. It's not about our experiences. But it's about our obedience and our faith. And when we are obedient and when we are filled with faith, yes, these things will follow. But it will give glory to the Father and his Son and the Holy Spirit. Will you stand with me, please? Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.